disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. Censorship is everywhere, and it's annoying. Uh, but it's a hard discussion to have about what we do when the censorship is happening from private companies, right? This is a fascinating discussion because we have private companies who normally as conservatives, we say you can do whatever you want as a private company. But the product that they offer is a public forum. And they're not only censoring conservative points of view, but they're promoting the other side's point of view and hiding negative stories to the other side's point of view. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of set um, philosophy or standards for how they go about doing this. Uh, and it's it's a dangerous time because we live in a time where social media in particular, Twitter, Facebook, are ubiquitous to our collective public forum. And so it becomes a bigger responsibility than just being a private company, right? Now, this is an argument the left has made for a long time, that bigger companies have bigger responsibility to the greater public. Now, all of a sudden, they flipped, and they're telling conservatives, hey, it's a private company. They can do whatever they want. Never mind that the last 11 months, they've been saying private companies cannot do what they want because they've got them shut down due to the, the coronavirus. But when it comes to censoring Republicans or conservatives, by God, do whatever you want, right? It's crazy times we live in. But I believe there's a solution here that respects the private company rights, but also respects the First Amendment and respects the modern age in which we've entered where the, the First Amendment is somewhat changing how it's expressed. And so I wanted to bring on my friend Josh Crawford from the Pegasus Institute in Kentucky <clears throat> to talk about this very important issue. And that conversation is coming up in just a second. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, um, the uh, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. And I say the, it truly is the Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They're awesome. Um, there's only one Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Uh, I love Tim. And they've done our, they did our kitchen in our home that we sold before we moved to Colorado. And I am firmly of the belief that the work they did helped our house sell quickly because it was beautiful. It really changed the entire look. They also did our master bathroom. So, you know, I've used them. So when I talk about them, know that I believe in them. They're at 6200 Hit Lane, which is right on the border of Oldham County and uh, Louisville, and super easy to find. And they've got three designers on staff, George, Michelle, and Kelly. And they are happy to welcome you into their showroom, show you some of the examples of their work, and then help you dive into how your project should go. So if it's turnkey kitchen remodel you're looking for, you got that covered. If you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they've also got cabinets in stock ready to go that are high quality and affordable. So check out LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Go to 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville or dial them up, 502-930-3304. Say, hey, that crazy Leland Conway told me to give you a call, 502-930-3304. And now our conversation, uh, which starts with dogs, because most conversations that I have with people starts with dogs. Welcome, Josh Crawford, to the Disruption Zone. Yeah, you just, you have those days where, like, your dogs ever get in the cat litter box? I don't have a cat, so no. God bless you. Your your wife hasn't convinced you to get a cat yet? No, she's a dog person, too, oh. so... Well, all right. Well, anyway, ours, ours like ours for whatever reason, um, they, they consider 
what our cat leaves in the litter box to be like little Tootsie Row treats. And they tear into yep. it. But we use a wheat litter, and my dogs have a wheat allergy. So whenever they get yeah. in there, it's it's bad. My deck is a mess right now. i got to go out and clean it off because it's snowing, and they don't want to go down in the snow because they're spoiled. And uh, Dog right. life. You guys have a dog, don't you? Right. Yeah, two dogs. Yeah, what kind do you have? Two pit bulls. Oh, those, those are bad, aren't they? Pit bulls? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I have heard that. I have heard that in the mainstream media, yeah. Yeah, I love them. They're sweet. Um, the only reason, oh, they're great. Yeah, the only reason they're ever bad is because they have bad owners. When they have good owners, they're fantastic dogs. So. Yeah, I mean, they were they were bred to be nanny dogs. And okay. so they're very loyal and very protective. And so the thing about loyalty and a protective impulse is if you utilize that in the wrong way, yep. then it can present itself as aggression. Oh, and yeah. so there's a lot of people out there who – take advantage of that trait that's been bred into them over generations. Um, but if they're sort of just a family dog, they're actually really, really great. Yeah. So we're yeah. looking forward to They get a bum rap. I mean, I've seen dogs that normally would, would have, because of their breed, a very sweet disposition. And because they have bad owners, they're very mean dogs, you know. And mm-hmm. it, it literally is just, it, it all comes down to the owner. What you instill in your dogs, just like what you instill in your kids, right? Right. Mm. Right. Welcome back, sir. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, great to be back. Uh, I want to let people know to go to PegasusKentucky.org. Um, if you've been listening to me a while, you know I have a tremendous amount of respect for this organization. Um, they stay above the fray, and they deal with policy. And I invited you back on, Josh, because, one, I enjoy talking to you. You're an intelligent guy, and we need more intelligent discussion in today's society. And, two, uh, there's just a lot of issues regarding policy that need to be tackled right now. Um and I think the big one that's kind of bothered a lot of people is the censorship from big tech. And I wanted to mm-hmm. dive into this conversation because, um, you know, I, you, I know you don't go by labels, but I see you as a very liberty loving person. Um, you know, I'm an independent who leans libertarian, I guess you could say conservative libertarian. Um, and this is a hard discussion because everybody's trying to boil it down to one side or the other, either Twitter and Facebook are bad because they banned Trump and they banned a bunch of people um, or they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. And this particular discussion, I think, warrants a little bit more nuance because I'm not in any way in favor of telling businesses, private business, how to run themselves. And I don't think you are either. Uh, Mm -hmm. But but we have a special situation here when one or two platforms become ubiquitous for the public common square. And then they're shutting down one particular point of view and promoting another. And that's the thing is they're not just pulling people off. We saw in the last election cycle that they actively hid negative stories against the candidate they seem to have sided with and then are now cleansing <laughs> their platform of people who say the wrong thing. And we're not quite sure what the wrong thing is. Um, everything seems to be filed under violence and other things if it's just something the left disagrees with these days. Do you share my concern in this? Yeah, so I love emerging issues like this for a couple of reasons. Um, But the big one is that you always get to see what people's first principles actually are. And what I mean by that is you get to see whether their first principles are ideological. Is it conservative, libertarian, liberal, progressive, communist, whatever? Or is it uh, political in nature, you know, right, left, Republican, Democrat? Because never in in a million years... Uh, if you had asked me, you know, five, six years ago, 
when I imagine that our friends on the left would be making the argument that um, private companies can do whatever <laughs> they want with their platform. Right. Um, that that tends to be... Especially um, on the heels of them telling private businesses to shut the hell down for the last nine months. Suddenly a private business can do whatever it wants. Right. But, <laughs> but I mean, if, if you look at policy all across the spectrum, right? Like whether or not a Catholic hospital has to perform abortions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's just this, these myriad of issues that our friends on the left have said, like, no, the public interest dictates that even though you're a private entity, um, you have to do X, Y, and Z, either because of some constitutional right mm -hmm. or because we think it's prudent public policy. Um, this is the first time in my memory where things sort of feel reversed, where a lot of people that I talk to on the right are like, there's a First Amendment right here when you're talking about a private entity. And right. that folks on the left are saying, hey, private company, leave them alone, let them do what they want to do. And both of those reactions are rooted in um, partisan positions more than yeah. they are philosophical or ideological ones. And so that's that's sort of been interesting. But, I, but to your point about nuance, um, I think that that is what's missing from this conversation in a big way, right? Um, I've heard you say things like this, and I've seen you post things like this on social media, that if, if AT&T were listening to your phone calls and said, well, because you uh, talk about lowering taxes and uh, gun rights on the phone, you no longer have AT&T service, um, people would say that AT&T couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps more relevant, um, if the New York Times said, uh, we will no longer run opinion pieces from this ideological standpoint. They wouldn't be allowed to do that. Same with the Wall Street Journal, same with Fox News, all these kinds of things. And so when you have an emerging technology and an emerging space like social media, you have to sort of balance all these factors. The, the underlying premises of our Constitution don't change, but the uh, set of facts that they're applied to does. And this is a new set of facts. And I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, right? That I think that um, that eventually these spaces are going to find themselves um, regulated to some extent that prevent um, prevent sort of ideological discrimination, but at the same time do allow them um, to sort of enforce what would traditionally be considered things like fighting words and things right. like that. That that you could actually say like no. You can't say, I'm going to kill your whole family. We can ban you for that. But if you say, um, I think that more guns means less crime and less taxes means, um, you know, more economic prosperity, then you can't ban someone for that. Right. And to be clear, we're not at that point yet. Facebook right. and Twitter are not. I mean, I posted a hilarious poll the other day that was like, hey, um, what type of conservatism is allowed on social media anymore? you know, what amount. And it was like the poll question or the poll answers choices were, um, social, uh, lightly socialist, you know, mini socialist and just a little bit socialist, you know, like three like that. Right. And obviously they didn't take that down, but we're on a slippery slope. Um, and I think to the point about the nuance of this conversation, when, when you were saying the, the Democrats are the ones now saying, Hey, it's a private company, let them do what they want. And the Republicans are saying, Hey, I have a first amendment, right? or I should say left and right, the funny thing about that is that they're both right. And that's what I mean by nuance. Because I right. the last thing I want to do, you know, Ira Glasser said on Joe Rogan's podcast, and I, he's the former head of the ACLU, and he was like, the first target of speech restriction is never the last. 
when you give the government the power to take down speech that you don't like, they also are given the power to take down your speech. And so it's very dangerous waters to say to the government, help us, please moderate this discussion, right? That's dangerous, murky waters. Um, We fought long and hard against the concept of the fairness doctrine, which was in Mm -hmm. place in the 80s and really was what kept talk radio from becoming what it is today. And it's arguably one of the most powerful media influences in America. It's not as powerful as, say, all of the left-wing media that is basically television, for the most part, with the exception of Fox and OAN and um, Newsmax, which have their own problems legally right now. But it is still probably one of the more powerful dialogue-type, you know, I guess, pillars in American communication. And we don't want a return of the fairness doctrine where instead of building programming based on what's entertaining and what the audience in a general area want to hear, we Mm -hmm. would have to base it on, well, did we give enough hours to the left and enough hours to the right and enough hours to the person in the middle? And that actually destroys the programming. So we don't want to get into any kind of, you know, these are murky waters. I I don't know that anyone has the answer yet, Josh. Right. Yeah. And... The, the thing that makes it slightly different from that would be as if, uh, like if iHeart decided that there will be no conservative talk on any of our airways is sort of like what the position that Twitter and Facebook are in right now, right? So right. it's not just a local station saying what's entertaining, what's interesting to, to the listeners in this area, but it would be like a parent company that controlled the entire platform saying, right no conservative talk or no liberal talk on these airways. Right. And so it is this sort of very nuanced and, and I think the thing that, that conservatives are right to be concerned about in this moment is if left to their own devices, because of the nature of big tech and the political biases of Silicon Valley, um, you'd be hard pressed to find very many conservatives in uh, decision-making positions in Silicon Valley. The folks tend to be very liberal and the people who are sort of right of center are very libertarian in their orientation. Um, still sort of pretty socially liberal, um, but but may like free markets, things like that. It's right. There's very few sort of dyed-in-the-wool conservatives in Silicon Valley. And so I think the concern that a lot of conservatives have is that if we continue down this road of paring down what is acceptable content, then what will be acceptable from the 50-yard line to the left will be much longer than what is acceptable from the 50-yard right. line to the right. Yeah. Um, and that we know, already are at. That is something that we are currently right. at. And that's like that's where I, I think you accurately describe exactly where we are on the slippery slope. You can still say right. things on the right. You just can't say certain things. You can say whatever you want on the right. left. Right. And, and look, if, like, my personal views, I don't see... Uh, necessarily coming under significant scrutiny anytime in the future. And frankly, that I think a lot of the views that are being censored sort of on the right are actually more destructive to the right than they are beneficial to the right. I would agree. And so my sort of like personal bias there, right, is like I there's a lot of these folks who are getting uh, cut off and, and, and having their access taken away that I actually think it's beneficial to the right for that to be the case. Um, but ultimately, principle needs to be to, to guide here, right? right. And so... Um, ultimately those folks, if, if the folks on the far, far left, the sort of postmodern, uh, critical theory left to get a platform, 
then the people on the farther right ought to get that platform too. And uh, I saw this this tweet the other day that was something like um, liberals uh, and then a colon. Uh, if you don't like it, create your own thing. Conservatives, okay, we've created parlor. Liberals, okay, we're banning parlor. Right. And right. so it's it's kind of this thing, right, where given the dominance that the left has in tech period, not just on social media platforms, but on the the way that you would access social media platforms, um, there is this sort of question of um, has that risen to a level where it's like, uh, and again, this is an imperfect example, but it's one of the, the things in history that we can look to, where it's like public accommodations in the South uh, post-civil rights era, right? right. Um, hotels are not government entities, uh, but hotels were determined to not be allowed to disallow African-American um, individuals from staying there uh, overnight because they're public accommodations. Right. Is Facebook, Twitter, these kind of places, the the mid-21st century equivalent of a public accommodation? Right. And are they the new public square? And even though it's not owned by the government, um, is there a role for government to step in just to ensure that the space is open, yeah. right? Not to, to specifically say, hey, this is okay and this isn't okay, but to step in and say that it's an open space. I, I don't know that I've got the right answer there, but but I, I'm not in the prediction business, but if I were, I would say that in the next five to 10 years, you'll see a case before the United States Supreme Court that that ultimately makes a determination on, yeah. on some of these questions. Let me weigh in on two things. First of all, I agree that a lot of the people that, have been banned from Facebook or Twitter were saying things that were either demonstrably false or uh, demonstrably insightful. Now that happens on the left constantly and they don't tend to get banned, but right. I agree that, that, that a lot of the people that were banned, however, there have also been weird, strange situations. Ron Paul, had his Facebook commandeered for 24 hours, and they weren't to tell him why, other than to say that he had repeatedly violated community standards. I've met Ron Paul. I've had him on my show multiple times. I've never met a sweeter, kinder, gentler, less aggressive, less violent man. Um, right. And and the, and then there were other instances like the walk away campaign. This was uh, a group of Democrats who were proudly walking away from Democrat Democrat policies and party party. And they shut that down. These were not extremist groups. They had nothing to do with the stuff that happened at the Capitol. And it's there's no explanation when it happens. So all I'm saying right. here is that that's why I describe it as a slippery slope. I want to make this clear. I would not have a beef at all with Twitter saying, you know what? What you just said was insightful. We're pulling that tweet down. What you right. just you know what I mean? That's fine. No, I what you just said was a threat. We're pulling that thing down. I have no problem with that. I think 99% of Americans have no problem with that. Free speech does not mean, and our founders never intended it to mean, that I could threaten you or I could tell lies about you. Um, right. Th that libel has been unlawful right. in the, the, the private space forever. Like forever. It, it doesn't matter what the medium is. And so there's no reason to believe that applying those principles of libel and fighting words and things like that to a new medium. Right. That, that I think makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think where this gets cloudy and, and I've used the analogy that what if the phone company cut off your, 
phone calls because they didn't like what you say. And then usually what right. I get as a response is, well, but this is public and that's not. Not necessarily, especially looking at today's world. We're doing Zoom meetings. We're doing conference mm-hmm. calls. Um, you know, we can do a conference call to 500,000 people if we, if, if we can get them all to sign on, you know what I mean? So that's one thing. We also have banks that are coming after gun manufacturers and firearms industry people. We had a, we had the, one of the largest firearms websites in the world was shut down with no real explanation right at the same time they were going after this other stuff. So there's, and then there's banks that are cutting off funding. There's a real movement here on the left to mobilize the private sector to achieve fascist goals of silencing their opponents. This is a danger I think we all see, and yet it's almost like when we're having our own system being used against us in terms of that system of freedoms, there, there's, a, there's an ability for a very insidious force to hide behind those freedoms and use those very freedoms to attack the freedoms that they might want to take away. I mean, I, I know that sounds weird and convoluted, but, you know, y- you have you have the, the left hiding behind the whole, well, it's private sector, they can do what they want, when everyone knows that the modern town square is Facebook and is Twitter. And your point exactly about Parler, I got, and I've said this before, when I was making the argument before Parler even became a really big, powerful thing, I was like, look, if we make another, because that, that's what the left would say is, well, go make your own. So then we go make our own and then, oh, well, that's just where the white supremacists hang out. And it gets labeled right. that. The media colludes with tech, helps to label it that. And now you have normal people that just wanted to be able to say what was on their mind that are thinking, I might have to get rid of this parlor app because I don't want to be called a white supremacist. There, these are this. So what happened with parlor is a perfect example of where, Exactly what you said. It's a private business. Build your own. All right. We built our own. Bam. We're taking that out too. There's some antitrust stuff here, and that is contrary to free markets because if we really could just go build another Twitter, fine. Twitter can do whatever the heck it wants, but you can't just go build another Twitter. Right. And the the antitrust question is is a somewhat interesting one in this context because – I, I sort of largely ascribe to the, the Robert Bork philosophy of antitrust that it should be about the consumer, not about market yes. share necessarily. Yes, I agree with that. But, but there is this question of um, when companies utilize government and government regulation to amass market share, then is is government then breaking up that company part of the solution, right? right. And so when you've got this conglomerate of tech that is is sort of clearly in lockstep on all these questions. Is there a, an argument for government to step in and do something about it? Again, that's still something that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, um, and and I think goes against principle, and it's why I I don't necessarily advocate it. Um, I think the solution here is likely similar to the solution that's going to be found in the universities. Right, that, that at the same time that the universities were going off the deep end with cancel culture and shouting down the conservative speakers, shouting down left of center professors who weren't left of center enough. You know, the, the Brett right. Weinsteins of yep. the world, yep. the university of Chicago comes out and says, uh, we're going to reaffirm our commitment to free speech and we're going to be a bastion for free speech. That doesn't mean that we are a bastion of conservatism, which is one of the problems with a lot of these efforts, right? They're conservative in their orientation, 
rather than saying we're free speech in our orientation. But so Chicago reissues this statement says we're going to redouble our efforts and our commitments to free speech. This yeah. is a a place where you are going to be exposed to ideas that make you uncomfortable, and that's good because that's what the university is all about. And a number of universities uh, all over the country have basically adopted a version of that Chicago statement now, including a number of very prestigious universities in the Ivy Leagues and elsewhere. And right. so what it really takes is someone stepping forward and saying, I see what's going on around, and um, we don't really like it, um, and so here's what we're going to do, and uh, I think some places will, will ultimately follow their lead. But that, that, again, brings you back to the antitrust question, because so much of tech is controlled by a very small number right. Of entities, you know, like Instagram is Facebook, right? So Instagram can't come out and say it. I think Snapchat's owned by somebody else. Like that's the the problem, right? Is that such a small number of individuals and companies own what most people think of as a wide array of different social media platforms, and so it becomes difficult for somebody to step forward and say, "No, we're actually going to do this a little bit differently." Yeah, I. In thinking through it, I think the antitrust question, like you said, is interesting because there's some ways that Amazon framed that that might have protected them. And they basically said to Parler, you have to do these things and then we'll keep hosting you. Parler didn't want to do those things. What those things were were supposedly pulling down violent threats, et cetera. Parler was like, we try to pull down violent threats, but, you know, we can't pull everything down. And when you look at this from a 30,000 foot view and you realize that Twitter doesn't pull everything down either and Facebook doesn't pull everything down either. And some of the people who organized what happened at the Capitol planned it on Facebook. And a lot of the riots over the summer were planned on Twitter openly. You know what I'm saying? It's like what it's, it feels more like parlor might have a point. Look, we might have a, a policy that says you can say whatever you want. Don't threaten and don't incite. And that really ought to be the policy for every public forum. Say whatever you want. Don't threaten. Don't incite. Okay. Um, But Parler is no different than any of those other outlets. And why should it be held to a higher standard of cleaning up that stuff when Twitter can randomly delete people and then go out and say, look at us. We're uh, taking all this violence off of our site when they're actually not. Um, You know, I, I think that's the thing that really gets under people's skins. And that's where maybe the antitrust thing comes in. It's like, well... If it can be proven, because this all happened like within two or three days, it was like they saw that Parler was surging over the last few months. It was almost like these big tech companies got together. Hey, we do business with each other. Let's do this. How about you do this? Let's cut them off here. You cut them off there. Bam, we're done. That's what it felt like because some of these platforms that de-platform Parler didn't even tell them why. They just did it, you know, and it sort of created a cascade that, you know, fell down to even, you know, a little bit smaller businesses, but on in the tech world, there was definitely collusion there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that there's a place for free markets to step in. And like you said, you said something earlier that I think was dead on when you said the only thing that I would ask the government to do is say, if the product you're providing is a public forum, let's define a public forum, right? You can say whatever you want, so long as you don't incite and threat. And the Supreme Court has pretty clear guidelines on what incitement is. It has to be almost directly tied to an actual right. event. Um, right. So you don't incite and you don't. And that, that means that means it has to be by law what a threat and, you know, what constitutes a threat and constitute incitement, not just some 
Well, you know, he said he wanted lower taxes. That's a threat to overthrow the government, which I've seen those kinds of crazy stretches from the left before. Right. right so right. I, that would be the only thing I would ask the government to do in this case. Otherwise, hands off. I don't want them to tell Jack how to run his business. Right. Right. And and I think the the overarching thing that, that we actually haven't talked about yet, but that is is important for your listeners to hear and um, would actually solve all of these problems is um, just get off these mediums because they're yeah. bad for you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Let's just not. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's um, I think it was a Babylon B article that says um, Twitter shuts itself down after determining um, it's dangerous or something like that. And it was right. like, please, please do. Um, because that's the thing, right? Like rioting and storming the Capitol aside, which is obviously awful, uh, rioting over the summer and all that aside, which is obviously awful. Um, every piece of research that comes out on social media and the way that it affects people's moods and it affects their outlook on life and the resulting depression and anxiety suggests like spend less time on it, not more, um, you know, maybe maybe try to get yourself banned from Twitter and Facebook because it'll be better for right. your mental health. Right. Um, the Babylon Bee had a had a satirical story about that. It said millions of conservatives experienced immediately better health after being banned from Twitter. I was like, yeah. yeah. So that, that's the thing. Like, I'm I'm not on Twitter. Um, I've got an Instagram, but I keep it close knit to to friends and stuff like that. And I'm on Facebook because of work, but. Um, I try to limit my interaction with those as much as possible. Um, and it, it behooves people to try to do the same because it's the less is more when it comes to social media. And so, uh, regardless of what they decide to do or, or whether they're censoring conservatives or making life more difficult for conservatives, the, the ultimate answer here is to just get off the platforms period because you'll be happier. Right. Right. Well, I I do think that that's that because one of the things that one of the things that bugs me about t- Twitter particularly, Facebook's not quite as bad as this. Facebook has a tendency though to have a lot more misinformation. People will post these things and then I I have people all the time will tell me, "Is this true? I heard it on Facebook." And I'm like, "If you heard it on Facebook, it's probably not." You know what I mean? Right. It's like there's a lot right. of really shady stuff there. But it, Twitter in particular you know, con- conversations that we have require context. That's that's what debate and conversation has, right? Like, you can listen to somebody for about 10 minutes and they talk and you'll find out where their hypocrisies are because we all have them. And right. you'll be like, but you said this a couple minutes ago. You have to hear the entire context of the conversation to understand where the person is going. Twitter, right. by its very nature and model, denies you the ability. So people never go back. If If, if, if I were to tweet something that became viral that was cancelable or whatever by accident or I didn't think it through and I put it up there people would not go and see what else did he tweet to see the full body of my work and then say oh well okay that's out of character for him he probably just meant this no one's going to give you the benefit of the doubt the entire product is designed to literally take small snippets of conversations do do these sort of heisman dances you know on the other guy and essentially just own each other all day long that is not healthy for debate No, no. I mean, so I I tell people all the time, like I literally work in in policy, right? And I work at the intersection between politics and academic research and all that kind of stuff. And I very rarely post anything about politics or policy on social media. You know, like I'll post my dogs, 
and I'll post funny articles I've seen. And like every once in a while, if there's something of particular interest, I'll post about it on social media. And the reason for that is, is because the debate that will then go on in the comments section when you post something related to politics or policy is almost never uh, a beneficial conversation, right? right? In part because to the conversation we're having now, there's nuance and there's um, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And the platforms just don't lend themselves to that kind of conversation and that kind of back and forth. They lend themselves to you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. You're a bigger idiot. Right. And you know, people would never one, never interact with each other, uh, in person period, but certainly never say things like that to each other end up being more vitriolic and more ardent in their positions than they otherwise would be. And that's, that's bad for their mental health and it's bad for American democracy. And well, the, so, the, the pure human element of debate, which is what our founders right. had, had envisioned was that we know that each other are human. We know what, mm-hmm. you know, you have a family, you have a wife, you have a kid, you have dogs, you have things you love that makes you human. It makes me less want to stab you in the throat. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like we may disagree, but we can also be friends and we can go have a beer together after the disagreement. Um, one of the things that you know, I, I actually just here, I'll read this to you because I just posted it on Facebook today. This is another thing that I think social media enables. And I said the problem with politics today is that we are just as, as much sore winners as we are sore losers. When one side, right or left, wins an argument, rather than graciously accepting the newly persuaded into the fold, the winning side mercilessly taunts the losing side. This is precisely why people entrench and seek out affirmation rather than facts. Affirmation, whether true or false, feels good, and it delays the other side's inevitable winning taunts. This creates polarization, ultimately radicalization. It's a law of human nature, and it doesn't matter whether you're right or left. And we've seen this every time, right or left. The winning side taunts the other side. You have right now, Don Lemon, I think it was, said that all 75 million people who voted for President Trump should be punished. And, and and the things that are happening on social media are indicating that. People that went to the rally, many of them were, were not, most of them did not participate in the riot. Right. They probably had no idea such a thing was planned or was going to take place. They just thought they were there supporting their president. Those people are being hunted down through surveillance videos and pictures, and their lives are being destroyed on social media because they attended a rally because their opinion was that the, the election was stolen. That's that's a right. terrifying prospect. And even Bill Maher, who I have a lot of respect for, he's he's a mean liberal sometimes, but the guy actually is an intellectual, I think. Right. And he came off and said, look, guys, you cannot confuse 5,000 people with 74 million. And I actually heard this yesterday. Right. I heard a guy say that there was no excuse for voting for Trump and that if you did vote for Trump, you're, you're basically the same as a white supremacist and a white nationalist. And I'm like, hold, hold, hold on there, buddy. There were a lot of people that voted for Trump that despised him as a person, but they, they voted because they did not want what the other side was selling. And that was socialism, big government, loss of freedom, et cetera, et cetera. That's what politics has become. We don't vote for the man or the woman anymore. We vote for our side and then we blast the other side as somehow murderers and grandma killers. You know what I mean? That's not right. conducive to a republic operating healthily. A- absolutely not. And what it's going to take is for one side 
to be the first side to say, not this time. And I am, I am fully advocating that it be our side that do that, right? And so I hope that everybody remembers how awful all of this feels, right? Like not only to, to, to have to watch the storming of the Capitol and have to question what you believe and who is on your team kind of thing, but then to have the left rub our nose in it for four years. Because right. the response to that should be, man, that felt really crappy. Yeah. And so you know what I'm not going to do? That. Yeah. Because right. I remember right. how it felt. Right. Right. But the problem is, and, and this is amplified on social media to your point, and it's amplified by siloing to uh, to your point, is to, to turn around and say, okay, when I get my chance, I'm going to rub their nose in it, and I'm going to make them feel how I feel right now. And again, that is how that is how children who don't know better interact on the playground. It is not how adults are supposed to interact with one another, right? Like you're supposed to take this negative experience and say, man, this doesn't feel good. And so I don't want other people to feel this way either. And so uh, somebody has to be the first to say, "Mm -mm, you know what, next time, not us. And, and I hope that it's our side. Like I I genuinely hope that the reevaluation that's going on right now in right of center politics and, and right of center, everything media, everything is to say, we're going to step out here on a limb and we're going to extend this olive branch. And if it gets slapped back in our face, fine. But whenever we're in in power, we're not going to slap it back. Like we're going to, to, to take the the high ground. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I want to clarify, at least from my perspective, I, I am not advocating that people not, argue and debate vehemently right. and passionately um right. I, I think i think a little bit of mockery is good i've always been an irreverent show host i mock politicians don't right. ever stop doing that america it's what makes us awesome but mocking right. a poli- but mocking a politician is very different than say i'm gonna get your address i'm gonna post it on social media and i hope everyone comes to vandalize your house like that's Absolutely. that there, there's a line there where I do want I do want a place in an arena where civil uh, friend to friend, dis, whether we disagree, debate is protected. I also want a place for that sort of irreverent challenge to authority, speaking truth to power that always needs to stay a part of the American dialogue. But that's very right. different. And I think what disturbs me the most about all of this is the fact that so many Americans left and right can't tell the difference. Right. Right. It's so easy to say your team burned down the country this summer. So all of y'all are ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. it's so easy to say your team stormed the Capitol and that was traitorous. So all of y'all are white nationalist traitors. It's so easy to do that when the truth of the matter is those specific actions, people throwing bricks through windows, looting businesses, burning small businesses, taking over city blocks, um, attacking police stations, attacking federal buildings. That is all stuff that Antifa did. That does not mean that everybody who supports the idea that Black Lives Matter was interested in that stuff. We cannot paint everybody under right. that same brush. We right. also can't paint the fact that anybody who voted for Trump does. I know a lot of people that voted for Trump who were disgusted and appalled by what they saw at the Capitol. Right. So right. I, I want to make sure that we're being clear here. I'm not talking about passionate, vehement, strong, sarcastic, satirical mocking debate there's nothing wrong with that man i'm irish let's get into it 
but there's that <laughs> right. line and that line has to has has to be where we protect it but i think that brings us back to the original point of the conversation that line is being crossed and it's being crossed by one particular ideology that tends to run all of the companies that provide those public forums so what do we do right yeah um I think the first thing we do is that everybody get off social media and then it's not a problem. Right. But, uh, but can you imagine a campaign being successful without access to social media in today's world? Um, I, I can because really? it happened like eight years ago. Like that's the thing about social media, right? Is that like this is such a new phenomenon in the huge role that it plays in American life that – uh, I'm 30 years old, and I've got very clear memories pre-social media. You yeah, know, but, like, but most voters now don't. That That's the thing. is like the, the, the ability to get your message out, to respond to situations, instead of having to call a press conference or wait till I get to that interview or whatever. A, a, a politician, I mean, I found out about Ron Paul being banned from Facebook because Ron Paul tweeted it, which is ironic. <laughs> right, but, right. but that's how, you don't understand what I'm saying? I mean, I, right. I, I don't know. I don't know where if you had a fully operational left-wing candidate with full access to social media and the Republican they were running against only had access to television and radio, I don't think they'd win in today's world. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question that, that I actually, because it's hypothetical, I actually, I don't know the actual answer, but the, you know, that's that's in large measure the way things like state rep races are run now, right? Like state rep races are run with door knocking and pamphlets and things like that, right? And, and maybe a presidential election is different, yeah, um, because you have to reach so many people in such a diverse um, country. But but you know, I think to the extent that there should be government involvement in the central question, it is what we've talked about that. Uh, there may be a role for government to opening the forums and saying um, these are now public forums. Uh, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can regulate your content to the extent that it falls under one of the traditional exceptions to the First Amendment, like fighting words, incitement of violence, libel, those kinds of things. But otherwise, um, you are a public forum um, and you you will be treated like a public forum as it relates to content uh, to non-content neutral regulations yeah i think i think very surgical government action there where it's just look the product you're offering is a public forum therefore the only thing this is what section 230 i i don't know where trump got up that bug up his butt about banning section 230 i don't know who had his ear but it's a stupid idea to ban it section 230 says if you are a public forum you're not responsible for what people say on that public forum right. because that's their responsibility. You've just provided the stage. They're the ones that got up and said it. If we remove that, then you absolutely remove all uh, ability to have free speech on these forums because now they have to ban almost everything that's not just recipes and puppy videos because they could be held liable for what that person says. So banning 230 is ridiculous. What needs to happen is take 230 and say, look, the definition of what gives you 230 immunity is a public forum. The definition of a public forum is everyone can come on, say whatever they want, minus incitement, violence, threats, and libel. Bam, done, problem solved. Right, so that's the thing, right? Because these social media companies 
kind of exist in this gray area between the two, right? They, they don't want to fully be a public forum because they don't want to have, uh, have to respect free speech that way. But they also certainly don't want to be a publisher because then they can be held right. uh, liable for, for the content that they publish, right? And so I do think that there needs to be some uh, restructuring of that. And my preference is that it's in the, the direction of public forum. Right. So not to hold social media companies liable for, for the, their content, but to say, here's what, what, what can and can't, again, looking at the can'ts as the traditional exceptions to the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do. Again, I'm not totally sure that just recipes and puppy videos isn't the more optimal <laughs> use for social media. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, maybe that's what social media is good for. <laughs> right. You're right. But I can tell you that um, you know the audience to this podcast is growing larger by the day. I guarantee right. you part of the reason it's growing is because of social media presence as sure. opposed yeah. to, you know, if I don't have a, well, I do have a daily microphone, but I mean, you know, it, it's not the same um, as, as, as you know, having command of an entire media operation when you have a podcast. It's just you're dependent on word of mouth, and one of the best ways to get word of mouth out is that social media. But I totally agree That's with you. I, the, the less t- When I spend less time on social media, uh, my relationships get better. Everything goes better, and, and you know, I, and 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 I think that's probably best advice for everybody. Just get off of it. Because here's the other thing I notice. I don't know about you, but man, Americans really aren't at each other's throats away from politics. Right. I, that's people are friendly. People are still being nice to each other. It's it's just politics where that's happening. Um. So, anyway. Yeah. And I think part of that is because people have have siloed themselves so much, right? And so I do wonder what it would be like if some of my friends here in Kentucky met some of my family from Massachusetts, right? You know, because the, the in the two places it's two different worlds, and in the lead up to the presidential election, it was two different worlds, right? right. Like I right. I talked to people in Massachusetts who could not comprehend that, that there was a possibility that Donald Trump was going to be reelected. And then I talked to, to folks here in Kentucky who could not comprehend that there was a possibility that Donald Trump wouldn't be reelected. It was right. literally like two totally different sets of facts and understanding about the situation. Mm-hmm. And social media plays a, a role in that. And that worries me some, right? That, yeah. that I do think that there's a, a big um, – missing element of community in our lives, right? That I think most people are, are largely good people. Uh, I think that most people would give somebody the shirt off their back without knowing anything about them. But I do think we're entering this phase where if all you knew about them was their politics, people would be a little bit less likely to do that. And so, um, you need to get out there. You need to get to know your neighbors. You need to, to get to know the people you go to church with, get to know the, the other parents at your kids, soccer game kind of thing because every one of those people is a human being every one of those people uh has a soul and uh every one of those people is is for the most part just trying to do the best to to raise their kids and better their lives regardless of what they think about taxes guns or abortion yeah and so when we start to look at each other that way a little bit more there's obviously still this place for for debate and discussion and vigorous debate and sarcasm and and all this kind of stuff right but once we start to realize that that people are people, 
regardless of who they voted for, uh, I think we'll start to, to get back to a better place where those discussions, conversations, debate, and sarcasm are actually better than they are right now. Because frankly, everything's pretty boring right now. Um, the debates aren't that interesting. <laughs> right. The comedy's not that interesting. Um, there is sort of this, uh, this pacifying effect that this time period has had on the way we debate and discuss things because yeah. it's not as if we're getting more interesting. We're, we're getting less. So I, I agree. Actually, my wife and I were remarking about that last night. You can tell the difference between uh, TV shows that are written by, you know, the younger generations versus the ones that were written by the older, more experienced writers. And frankly, the new stuff is just not entertaining. Not at all. It's not even mildly funny. And it's right. it's not mildly entertaining. It's it's usually just a bunch of woke stuff uh, and lectures, right. and and it's very passive aggressive, and it's just very milk toast. And um, yeah. you know there there isn't that sharp edge to it that gives something flavor. And and I, I fully agree with you. And and we're, that's part of what the danger of cancel culture is, by the way, because it has everybody afraid. I, I saw a, a, an article the other day that a lot of the country music stars were being warned by their labels not to say anything about the censorship that was going on. You know, I mean, there's a very pacifying, like you said, you use that word, very pacifying effect to what's happening here. Because when it comes to media, when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to technology, those worlds are all controlled by one overriding mindset. And right. um, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. And I, and I think that is a danger um, and maybe the best answer, like you said, is just for, I don't know, maybe we need it. Maybe we need some, some kind of EMP that just takes us off the grid for, for, for six months. And now nah, then we'll all kill each other within a couple hours. So no, that's not what we need, but you know what I mean? I mean, maybe it'd be good if, yeah. if Twitter and Facebook just didn't work one morning, you know, uh, right. after we got over our well, withdrawals and, and, and folks can do that voluntarily, right? Yeah. Like decide for yourself that you're not going to use social media for a week. And you'll realize that when that week is over, that you didn't miss that much. Right. The first 72 hours, you may feel like you did, but you'll realize that you didn't. Right. Go camping for a week and uh, don't have self-service. You right. know, like add little things like that to, to your life. And then you'll very quickly realize that it's it's playing an unnecessarily prominent role in your life. And then you can still be on Twitter and still be on Facebook and not have it be um, the drain that it, that it currently is. Yeah, fully agree. All right, man, we covered a lot of ground here. I think we solved the problem too. I think we know what, what government action would be acceptable and, and you know, how to fix all this. So I feel good. I feel good about a conversation where you debate the sides and then you come up with a solution. It may not be the right one, but it's a solution, right? right? We at least leave people right. with a nugget to think about. They can gnaw on that. And feel free to go to the comment section on my uh, website, thedisruptionzone.com, and say, hey, you guys are wrong, and here's why. It's totally cool. I'm cool with that. Uh, but it's yeah. good talking to you again, man. I appreciate you. Always. All right. We'll chat soon. Thanks. Oh, hey, Thanks, before man. I let you go, let's tell people about the Pegasus Institute. It's uh, PegasusKentucky.org. What do you guys have going on right now? I know you guys have constantly got policy briefs. Uh, if you're interested in diving into the nuts and bolts, and I think you do a good job of not making it super wonky, uh, but giving people kind of the uh, the breakdown on, on certain policies, how it affects them in their lives. Um, what's the biggest thing you guys are working on right now? Yeah, so we're in the heart of the legislative session here in Kentucky, and so we're forming um, executive powers, uh, is, is a big one for us. Um, the General Assembly passed Senate Bill 1 
which is a, a, a big, important reform effort uh, here in Kentucky around declarations of emergency and unilateral powers given to a, the chief executive um, that, that uh, the governor is likely going to veto, but then the General Assembly will likely override that veto. So we've got a, a great deal on that. But we've also got some really interesting stuff coming out on, um, on incarcerated women. We've done a, a great deal of work in that space over the last couple of years, um, in particular uh, mothers and pregnant women um, with addiction issues who find themselves incarcerated and, and ways to better deal with that population so that they can build meaningful relationships with their children, uh, but also not uh, reoffend. Awesome. Love it. All right. Well, people check out PegasusKentucky.org. You guys have a podcast, too. Um, Correct. And, and that's found on the website, so you can just check that out as well. Um, so, yep. hey, man, great talking to you, buddy. I appreciate you. Always, William. Thanks. All right, thanks. Josh Crawford with the Pegasus Institute. Uh, I think we solved the problem, but, again, we may not be right. That's what debate is. So feel free to jump on my uh, podcast or my podcast webpage, thedisruptionzone.com, and you can comment on all of the um, – uh, all of the episodes. So if you think we're wrong or you have a better solution or an idea to move the ball forward on how we can deal with what's happening right now in terms of censorship, let's do it. Let's let's hash it out. We want to make sure we maintain our principles of liberty while, well, this is one of those cases where rights cross other rights, right? So we want to try to make sure that we're always adhering to the principle of liberty because that's where we stand here at the Disruption Zone. Big thanks to our super awesome sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They are at 6200 Hit Lane, right on the border of Louisville and Odom County. Here's the deal. They did our kitchen in our home, and it was phenomenal. And I honestly believe that it was one of the reasons why the house sold so quickly. They also did our master bathroom. I don't talk about businesses that I don't either work with or totally believe in their mission and have researched them thoroughly. In this case, I've worked with them, and I do believe in their mission. I believe in their work ethic. Uh, so you're going to love them. So call 502-930-3304, or uh, you can stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane, and they have three designers on staff, Michelle, Kelly, and George, and they will help you walk through how you want your kitchen, your dream kitchen to look, and then work you with, uh, through with all of the process. Now, if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they actually do have really high-quality uh, cabinets already in stock that you can pick up and take with you. Super awesome uh, option. So whatever it is you're looking for, whether it's granite or marble or quartz or some other hard co uh, counter surface or even laminate, whatever, they've got it for you at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, or Oldham County, these are your guys. Check out their website at Louisville, uh, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops.com. Super easy to remember. And 502-930-3304. Thank you very much to my co-host and co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. I promise he'll be back with us sometime soon. Also to JP Web Design, Dynamics Audio Productions, and to you. For the thousands of you that are downloading the podcast each week, thank you so much for that. Let's keep it going. Let's keep spreading the word. Get it out there that it's a free subscription on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio's app. So you can find us there or at my website, thedisruptionzone.com. We're on Twitter. It's at uh, Zone Disruption and at Great Lilando. Uh, and then we're also, or I'm sorry, on uh, Twitter is at Leland Show, at Leland Show. And then on uh, Instagram, it's The Disruption Zone and at Great Leland. No. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.